Hey everybody, welcome. This is Deconstructing the Psyche. I'm your host, Michael. Hey everyone, it's Eamon. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. Good. How are you? Not bad, not bad at all. Better than I am. How so? I injured my hand. You did, yeah. We went to a uh, beer fest. Oktoberfest, yeah, beer fest. I didn't drink, I was just hanging out, but we decided to do a tug of war at the end of the day and I injured my hand, so... I'm ailing right now. Such a bad idea, but <laughs> we are here to provide you the latest podcast for yeah. this week. Exactly. We are going to play through the injury, as they say. NFL. We're going to tough it out. I'm going to yes. get some cortisone shots. Bike um, it in. Some smelling salts. Possibly. Whatever I need to make sure that I, I last through this and we win the championship. We're going to get there trust us all right so what movie did we do this week we did miami vice oh yeah such an interesting (laughs) film right such an interesting film why what do you why do you say that well (laughs) it's it's filmed in an era that is non-existent at all i think it's such a playboy kind of flashy film there are Ferraris, there are possibly Lambos in the movie. A, Bentley, a lot of flash. A lot of car chases, a lot of gunfighting. A lot of... Um, it is a blockbuster film. A lot of uh, fighting, a lot of uh, need for control and money and... Oh, yeah. Uh, power games. Terrorism, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, I'm curious because... You wanted to watch this movie, right? So I did. what was why? Why? <laughs> this is my why. I just want to know why. That's this why. is my two a.m. coming okay. home from the club film. Okay. <laughs> or coming home from the bar film, the one that you put on at two a.m. and just yeah. watch, just okay. like Drive with yeah. uh, what's the actor's name? Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yes. <clears throat> so you're usually watching this inebriated. That's At 2 a.m. That's what you're that, telling me. That is after I've had a burger coming home from okay. the night out. Yeah. Okay. So did you watch the movie... At 2 a.m. this time? No, I've actually watched okay. it because I no longer party okay. back like when I was in college. Okay. But so this is that film that I would watch. You watched yeah. it sober? I watched it in pure sobriety, okay. yes. What was your take on this movie while sober? It was kind of boring. Okay. <laughs> so very different. But I've seen this movie multiple times, okay. so I'm okay. biased by virtue of watching the film so many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Why do you think it was boring? Oh, I know the plot. I know okay. the ins and out of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Honestly, though, it is one of my favorite movies. Because of the, yeah. the nature of the flamboyancy, mm. the nature of the in-your-face action, the, mm-hmm. the idea that it's not really based in the real reality, but just the fantasy. I found it quite interesting. What do you mean by that? Two men, fantasy. Two men of opposite cultures, um, it, both are undercover officers who <laughs> infiltrate a drug ring yeah. with their, you know... Hutzpah, with their you know their way of speaking, their brute, the brutish, their machismo, the brutishness of their nature and machismo that they have. Yeah, they were able to you know have some big balls to, to integrate themselves, themselves and manipulate their way into a drug ring. Yeah, okay. With heavy players, there is one scene in particular where yeah, um, this guy threatened to he had a grenade in his hand and threatened to blow up the whole yeah uh, cafe. Yeah. You know, because he he wanted to make a point that he's serious about being able to uh, transport the goods. Yeah. So for me, this film it's a reminder of strength, and in a way, strength mm. and masculinity. Okay. Right. It, it, it is a reminder of <laughs> of that. Okay. Go ahead. What? <laughs> what? I'm just like okay. What? Why? <laughs> I feel like you're saying certain things on purpose, but. What what I'm interested in knowing why you said that is why you why you use that word fantasy. The idea of fantasy, well, yes. the reality. What okay? What is like? But whose fantasy is this? That's what my question is. 
I think this is the, this is sort of a creation of what you think it would be like to infiltrate a drug world with the drug lord yeah. and meeting these people okay. that they're so well organized sure. or they're so well spoken or they're so, you know, they think yeah. this way when in fact okay. it could be slightly different. Okay. I don't think the connections are made yeah. just like that yeah. out of the blue, which we're yeah. out of the ordinary. I think people are actually vetted through okay. vetted through other people, other sources, and they're everyone needs to have a resume. Yeah. So these guys had to have had a body of work before they can, you know, promote okay. their services to those who they wanted sure. to, you know, sure. transport for. What about the I mean, and that totally makes sense what you're saying. That's mm-hmm. that seems very fantasy like. I'm wondering even if the stuff going on with the women in this movie are sort of fantasies in a way like what um like the way that um who is it not jamie fox what's the other guy's name colin farrell colin farrell's character the mm-hmm. the way that he um seduces let's say <laughs> the asian female yeah, lead uh, character the other drug lord yeah, the basically the whole way that whole thing or goes down assistant between he and her and their you know one night stand go to Cuba in a it's high a, speed boat and having is, sex numerous times. This movie is like a guy's ultimate fantasy. That's what I'm saying. It's like okay. it's supposed to be okay. like I am Colin sure. Farrell. I get I yeah. am like a badass and I get to be with another badass yes. chick yes. who is like very dangerous, yes. but very hot yeah. and exotic, Cuban and Asian. It's very adrenaline filled. And it's like, I'm going to drive my 800 horsepower yeah. fucking speedboat okay. across Florida Bay into Cuba yeah. to have mojitos yeah. and dance salsa with her. Yeah. And can then I, fuck. Can it's, I, it's really interesting. Can I play this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is just a audio clip from the movie, but well, I'm gonna play this so that we can play it on air. Let's see. Ma'am, do me one favor. Yeah. Watch out for the risks. We're talking about covering your loans. Allow me to buy you a drink. How fast does that go? goes very fast uh, so uh, i mean it's kind of hard to hear but yeah he she he this, says well how how fast how fast does that go goes very fast what like what there's so many sexual innuendos going on in that scene right with his mm-hmm. the, the high-powered boat and how fast can it go and let me take you to another island and but it's talking about that kind of a lifestyle. I think the drug-induced lifestyle yeah. is very fast-paced, very adrenaline-rushed. Mm-hmm. So a part of that lifestyle also incorporates sexual innuendos sure. or the the appeal of the sexiness of danger, which yeah. is actually existent in that kind of a, yeah. a world. Yeah. What is interesting, is, going back to the idea of this being a man's dream, is a dialogue. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to try too hard to no. fuck to no, get to her no he just said how fast does it go he basically very fast he he kind of did what he wanted right mm-hmm. i think jamie fox is the secondary to colin farrell colin farrell is the primary character in this movie mm-hmm. and colin farrell kind of operates throughout this movie and like he's just do, he's going to do and he's going to get whatever he wants that's that's implied in the beginning even when he's with that bartender and he's talking to the bartender and like asking her like what's going on and she's like instantly basically wants to sleep with him right that's what we're getting the idea Mm -hmm. of and it's this idea that this guy can get whatever girl he wants and he really doesn't have to try right yeah isn't that what which happens (laughs) yeah but that's yeah right that's the but isn't that the fantasy that we're talking about yeah i think that's also incorporated as sort of that male sort of yeah. ego which is yeah. some men think that they can get any woman yeah. and you know that 
this but movie it, it, appeals to that side of masculinity yeah. like whoa you are appealing yeah. it's attainable it's very interesting though because it's not it's not the the film is not being put out in a <laughs> in a joking way in a facetious way it's being put out in this is it, it's like we're taking this very seriously like this fantasy that we're putting out there we're not saying this is fantasy we're we're actually we're trying to act like this is what real life is almost <laughs> I would take Bad Boys, yeah, the first one, yeah, as a real movie over this one. I don't even because think I've ba- seen Bad Boys. Before, Bad Boys, so. we should watch it because Bad Boys with Will Smith is what Colin Fer- Farrell's character, and then. <laughs> but Mar- does, isn't Martin he married in that movie or no? No. Okay, Martin Lawrence is Martin the Lawrence one with is the relationship. One. That's the one we okay. have with our so Jamie Foxx in this film and yeah. then the playboys will smith he's yeah. the one driving the porsche yeah and i think the film's also filmed in miami mm. so it i is. think this is probably it. i think bad boys is sort of a jumping off point of yeah. miami vice but i think bad boys does it better than miami vice yeah. because they do similar there are similar themes mm. but bad boys it just feels more real and it's there the characters you are more forgivable. You can forgive the characters more for their flaws. Yeah. Whereas this, this one, yeah. fucking Colin Farrell's is fucking Playboy out of nowhere. Yeah. It only says like two or three lines, and suddenly it's like this. This fucking yeah. The other drug kingpin would say, "I'm gonna give up everything for you." Yeah. Yeah. She's supposed to be an intelligent woman because her. Uh, yeah, she seemed like she was very strong and and independently willed and all that, right? Strong, and then all of a sudden it just disappears. Independently willed, and then she's in a relationship with a drug yeah. lord, who's very intelligent, <laughs> yeah. who can see. Apparently, he stands as a symbol of a god at in this film. Yeah, shaved head, big beard, but can see beyond. He's the not future. even a real person in this movie. He's totally just a. Um, what is it? A, a, He's like a a stereotype. He's a complete stereotype. There's yeah. nothing real about that drug lord character. No, he's just supposed to exist as what an omnipotent presence. But he's just he's a representation. Like you can't take that character seriously. It's yeah. it's a really badly created character and they used the wrong actor for it too, I would say. <laughs> just because of his look. He looked like he would portray that drug kingpin serious face, shaped yeah, head. Yeah, but in a stereotyped it, way. Yeah, but it didn't. He didn't have anything to add to the film. No, that's what I'm saying. At like all. You could have. You could yeah. have put anybody else there, and it probably would have been the same, or probably better. It almost you, like didn't matter that that person was no, that character. You would have been more likely to believe that the other guy is underling would have been the drug kingpin yeah because he had more of a role for sure in the film this other guy's like yeah, likely sure. just, you only see me one time yeah. and that's it and it's yeah. like what the fuck is yeah. that the omnipotent presence and then when he's gonna get captured he <clears throat> disappears into the mist like a god yeah that's but okay you would think that the woman at least right the one who falls in love with colin would be more under more understanding of herself and say this is temptation. Mm. I'm not going to lose everything mm. because of this man. Mm. She should have been able to see through all that. Yeah. What happens to her? Does she die? No. What happens is like um, the veil lifts. Uh-huh. She finds out that he's an undercover cop. Oh, yeah. She gets angry. There's a shootout. Yeah. yeah. He grabs her, puts puts her in between her, his legs, yeah. you know, shields her from gunfire. Yeah. Scrape, escapes on a Dodge Charger. What uh-huh. is that? Uh, no, horseback in old okay. school films and a okay. Dodge Charger escapes takes her to one of their safe houses okay. calls a boat over and helps her yeah. escape into yeah. Cuba but he's the uh, he's, he's her the, savior he's the savior right and she's the she becomes like a weak person in that and near she, the end of the film she loses everything and likely she's gonna die yeah because the drug kingpin who's omnipotent yeah will be like i'm gonna find you and yeah. murder you yeah yeah and that's because of colin farrell he fuck he he did that and he's not fault. gonna save her life <laughs> you think he cares no he fucking didn't care well that he got her murdered you can i that that doesn't surprise me though because in this movie i see women as they're basically just objects in this movie because jamie fox's uh girlfriend or wife is the same thing when she gets blown up in that house or whatever happens right like doesn't a house blow up and she's in it 
the trailer they go, park. Yeah, right? they go to the ho- they go to the hospital, and like Jamie Foxx's reaction is so emotionless. He has like no emotion on his face, and it seems like he doesn't. He almost doesn't even care that <laughs> that this happened to her. He might have some like internal anger but it's it's like this movie this way it's like the way that a man is supposed to react to this almost it's like masturbation in a way yeah there's no passion behind it it's sort of like the the end goal is to get to the end yeah the goal is to get to the end which is like i just want to bust a nut (laughs) so this shit is like this shit is like i just want to get to the end of the film because at the end is a final climax and i've heard that the director was actually upset with the ending of the film Mm. it was supposed to be grander than this mm. shit that he presented but the, the film is, i think it's supposed to be paced in a way where you're supposed to be filled with adrenaline excited to watch it but it really misses the point where these people are human beings but there's no plot almost. yeah i don't like but i when would, i watch this movie i i this the plot almost doesn't even need to be there because there's it's too focused on what you're talking about about like all the that, adrenaline and the and the speed and everything it's yeah it's became that there's no point there is no point to this movie there is no <laughs> point to the fucking anything that's why i'm saying this is like a 2 a.m so film. ridiculous it's just like you just watch it and get it yeah. through and knock out yeah but like honestly like the film would have been better if they would have built the characters and built connections. Yeah. And suddenly he's on a speedboat. Suddenly he's in fucking Cuba. He's sleeping with her now. And now they're like making deals and like loving yeah. each other. That that doesn't make sense to me. How no. do you go from that takes months? Yeah. To develop that kind of a relationship, even for if sure. it is fucking, it would take months for her to even trust him. For sure. I don't know where she's willing to lose everything for him. Yeah. But why? Yeah, Who it doesn't make guy? sense. Who is this guy? She doesn't even know the guy. So, yeah, out of, like, films, it's, like, not the best film to watch, yeah. you know? Yeah. I. So, you mentioned the director. The director is Michael Mann. Right. Have you seen other movies by director Michael Mann? Have you seen Heat? I've seen Heat, yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Well, okay, that yeah, what do you movie. think about that movie? It was better than this shit. It is. Do you see any... It's a similar film. Yeah. To, maybe you can tell me, what what do you see as the similarities between those films? Two male lead characters. Yes. One bad guy, one good guy. Yes. Robert De Niro. Yeah. And Al Pacino. But Al Pacino's forgiving of the bad guy. We see yeah. Jamie Foxx being forgiven of Colin Farrell's mm, flaws. Mm. But I've also heard that Colin Farrell in this film was actually really addicted to drugs. Okay. He was going through like mm. a difficult time where he said in interviews, I don't even remember the movie. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx at one point quit the movie. Okay. He's like, they're shooting us. They were in, in some jungle, I think in, in the middle of Central America or somewhere mm. or South America. He's like, I'm done. They're shooting at yeah. us. I don't want to be a part of this film. Yeah. He refused to come back unless they moved the okay. set to another location. Okay. In terms of there were similarities to Heat, it seems like it's even filmed the same way. It is. It's supposed to be this grand movie. Where Very similar a big, style. The big chase scene. You know, you're just yeah. following the character through the pace. It's, it's like also game very of cat and mouse. Uh, male dominated. Right. Oh yeah. Um, I think women are seen as objects in heat as well when the woman tries to like well he, he robert De Niro convinces the woman yeah. to fall in love with yeah. him and then to like he's willing to lose everything for her but yeah. in fact he doesn't give a fuck about her no he doesn't and he yeah. and that's al pacino's character too oh yeah movie. he's married to the wife and the yeah. wife cheats on him yeah. and then he doesn't give a fuck he's like i gotta get my guy so i, I gotta fucking i've made a the bad guy. i made a movie or i made a video about heat yeah. And I was arguing that one of the central psychological themes in that movie is about mm-hmm. male feel, fear of intimacy. <laughs> okay. And Al Pacino and De Niro are both examples of, of men who are using their career or like whatever they're doing mm-hmm. in their life as an excuse for their fear of intimacy with women. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true or not. But I see that as a potential related theme to well, Miami Vice. If the same director wrote the film, then that's an ongoing theme for him. Okay, so this is where I'm going with this. And I so I think we're on the same page. I have a theory 
And so my theory is that there's these there's a thing called an auteur director. And what an auteur director is, is a person like Michael Mann, uh, Mike, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino. Spike Lee. Spike Lee. These types of people. So basically they're uh-huh. d- directors who they have a very similar theme and mm-hmm. a very similar style in all their movies. Almost right. all their movies are like, you You know that's a movie by that guy. Well, you know what kind of biases they hold when they create these films. Well, this is the, that's where our, you're like, we're on the same page right now for sure. Because right. my theory is that what auteur directors are doing and they don't real and they well, may not realize Jordan this. Jordan another one with that same thing okay. going on. Yeah. They're unconsciously projecting their own fantasy into the film, their yeah. own unrealized fantasies about their life or about their issues in life. And that's what they're because usually the auteur director is also the writer. They're the piece, they're person who writes these movies. That was happening with the movies you were watching, like Clockwork Orange. Sure, The Shining. I think Kubrick was probably doing it a little bit too. A lot of these directors do, and it's like they're authors of a book, but the the same themes continue to come up for these 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 directors, these guys. So that's probably what's happening. I'm arguing that I think that for Michael Mann specifically and a couple of those others is that he doesn't realize the types of mm. themes that he's projecting on there and that this is actually represented representative of how he sees things in real life so i'm what i'm saying is that this is michael mann michael mann is colin farrell He's he's he sees himself as Colin Farrell, Whoa. and he sees himself as this guy who can kind of like get women and like seduce them and do whatever he wants. But at the same time, he's also the guy who's fears intimacy and cannot get close to a woman because of whatever well, issues he has that he hasn't worked out. These yeah, well, the characters are representations. Yes. If what you're saying is true of the person's internal states, yeah. internal states meaning the different aspects of the self, yep. they aren't fully realized. Yep. So it could be, you know, the the Playboy, the Womanizer, the Don Juan, yeah, or the other one, which Jimmy's Fox character would be mm-hmm. um, Justice in a way, mm-hmm. who who wants to protect the friend, mm-hmm. right? But both have the same struggle. These male characters. A fear and intimacy and forming bonds in a way. Yeah, it's more about the job, getting things resolved. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you could see the same thing with maybe Quentin Tarantino's movies too, where Quentin Tarantino probably projects himself as the hero. No. I'd, I'd say that all these guys are Awkward. projecting themselves as the hero. His characters, they're they're. But he's a. They're flawed heroes, right? His their dialogue. That's all. Although him. intelligent, is very awkward. But that's how he is in that real is life. That is how he is. And that's how the character's written, like, fucking John Travolta on the date. Yeah. It's a very intelligent conversation with an Uma Thurman. But yeah. then it's also a very awkward conversation. Because yeah. typically, you don't talk to a date like that. No. No, you you, you tend to yeah. get to know that person, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it is a portrayal of oneself when, when yeah. these uh, directors, you know, uh, direct these films. I think about Gone Girl because we never we never put that one out. Yeah, the Gone Girl, the lost tape. That mm. was a badass tape. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. but um, I wonder if that was a di- portrayal of the director himself. Mm. We have a psychopathic character. Both characters, male and female, are both sick, flawed people. Mm. Maybe it's a portrayal of one's own even family. You know, maybe the people that they've been around. I, I yeah. Because David Fincher is an auteur director too, mm-hmm. and he writes all those movies. For some reason, I I don't get the same vibe with him. I get the vibe with David Fincher that he knows what's going on and he knows what he's writing into the movies, as opposed to maybe the, some of the other directors we're talking about are not as knowledgeable about what they're what they're doing, what they're what they're putting on the screen, and how it reflects their own unconscious mind. With Gone Girl, at least, mm-hmm. there was probably a theme about Peterson, mm-hmm. Lacey Peterson and mm-hmm. Scott Peterson. Yeah, yeah. So there was probably a different sort of 
<clears throat> understanding of these characters as flawed characters and a point where these are who they are. Yeah. And these are the people around who they are. Mm-hmm. These, this is the world and the environment and creating around the people who they, of who they are, but it's not about him. Mm. That's why you see the characters stand as individuals on <coughs> their own. The sister, the lawyer. These are all individual characters with their own representation for the film. Yeah. They're the characters on their own, whereas... My anime vice is centered around one particular character, mm-hmm. and in Gone Girl, it's centered around multiple different characters. Mm-hmm. There's the lawyer, there's a sister. There's each one has her own world, mm-hmm. world spanning openness. You're 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 being involved into how they look at the at the reality that is being created for them. Yeah. Whereas Miami Vice is only viewed through the lens of a male, the male gaze. The male gaze. And yeah. With that one. You're seeing what it was like to be Colin Farrell in the film, or yeah, or, I, I or mostly what? just say Colin Farrell because it's not really about Jamie Fox either. Yeah, it's only about his character. Or this is what the Michael Mann would like would have liked his life to be like. Like this is his fantasy. Well, it's That's person, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's first person view of his life. It's his fantasy. It's his because fi- you know you think about directors. It's but that's like the thing, right? That's why he didn't care about taking them to the jungle where they were almost killed. Yeah, because it was only about him and his cat. His, it was about his orgasm. His, yeah. it was about him alone. There you go. So that's why he didn't <coughs> care about the safety of the of the the cast or anything. <coughs> yeah, and that's probably why Jamie Foxx said, "I'm leaving because you don't give a fuck about mm. us." That's interesting. It's only about what you want. Like you, the director was outcome. was dictating everything and was putting other people at risk. That's the director. He's mm. the director. He will direct and tell you what to do. There's funding for it. They trust me. I'll make it the way I want to make it. If you don't want to be in it, so what? I'm not going to be in it. It's too dangerous. Yeah. Your egomania. Yeah. Right? But it's about what I want, how I look at it. Mm. Would they do a part two? Probably not. Mm. Because it was probably a difficult set to be on. Yeah, for sure. So he's kind of ignoring everybody else. When you have a vision and you're at that level, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what this, you know, I think about directors and what they're doing as filmmakers. Obviously, making films is important, but I'm wondering if some of these directors wish they could be... Actors? Not actors, but... The characters? Their fantasy is like the fantasy that they're projecting is of some grander life, you know, of some some more exciting life where they're they're kind of doing stuff and they're I don't know they're they're living more perhaps I don't know. I mean, with this film, it would be that. I mean, he actually lived through it. We all do. I think playing, watching the movie. Yeah, and being involved with it as you're staring into the screen. Yeah, you're a part of it. You live through the character. Sometimes even the actors. Nietzsche talked about this thing with acting. He says like, no, it was Nietzsche. Yeah, I think it was Camus. Mm-hmm. Camus talked about it. Mm-hmm. He talks about how the actor lives a whole life. They mm-hmm. become that character until the character finally dies. Yeah. So you become and embody that being. Mm. It's never you, mm-hmm. but you become that thing. I think we all do when we're watching the film. We put ourselves in that shoe. We watch the film. We become it. Yeah. And when we're done, it's like, well, it's over. Mm. But that life becomes over for us. Mm. We shut off the screen. And it's like, now I have to live my life. But and if you're a person who's unhappy with your life. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's what's going on with the directors in a way where... This is all. Th- their whole life becomes making these films, and that's what it's all about. But yeah. that's only one part of of life, like you're saying, right? It's a, it's like a piece of it. And so, what happens when those cameras get shut off? Maybe they are incomplete in some way, or they're like lacking something. And I'm wondering if that projection that they're putting on the screen is their the unrealized life that they wish that they were living or that they wish that they had in some sense, you know, I mean, it could be like, they like that's exciting. You know, it's like, it's exciting to 
get some woman and and go across the water to Cuba and dance with her and like have sex in the morning and go get breakfast and that's exciting and that's like the life that they're missing out on perhaps while they're doing their movies yeah, yeah. why wouldn't that be for authors they create films some of these authors who are sex novelists yeah but the, when everyone was younger there would be fabio would be on the cover of these novels right yeah and it's like they put these characters in there they create these characters because they imagine having that kind of a life that's what some they want them, some of them actually don't but that yeah there's but, a lot of right like there's a lot of people that are doing that kind of stuff like doing art and that the art is what it ends up consuming everything and they don't end up living life in, in a way. Well, I think thinking about it is enough to have lived through it. Mm. I mean, how many times have I not fantasized about being with a beautiful woman mm. and then thinking about it? But in that moment, you know, you're like, okay, I lived a whole life with her. Mm. I've had her here at this moment. I've been with her. Yeah. And in, in the fantasy I've wed her. Yeah. I've slept with her. Yeah. I've had a child with her and it's done. Yeah. I never even have to engage with her anymore after that because I can live another life after that. Mm. That's why even augmented reality would be something so scary. Because even in virtual reality, you can have that kind of a fantasy. This is also seen in Minority Report Mm -hmm. um, and other films that we've watched Mm -hmm. where they speak about creating the idea of a fantasy in a person's mind with sort of what we're doing now with the metaverse. Yeah. You can actually live a whole life. You just input the data and what you want. But is that really living, though? That's not living. That's just an existence in your mind of something that you want and desire. It's a dream. You're not there, but the sensations are enough where you want to say, I lived that. I've been through that. That's just a simulation, though. It's not reality, but it's also a fantasy. But for some, the fantasy is enough. And then you're gone. You're done. I feel that appetite. The scary part is you've never, you've never lived that. You've never had mm. that kind of a touch or sensation with that person. Yeah. You know. But how many? I mean, I'm wondering then, based off this conversation, how many people do you think are are doing that? Where that's they are less living in the fantasy. Well, everyone who's on their cell phone, watching Instagram videos, TikTok videos. You know, everyone who is distracted from reality, watching the young and the restless, Mm. watching a football game. Mm. Every day, someone, people are not in existence with the true virtues Mm. of reality Mm. because we all struggle. Yeah. The struggles become greater with money, with Mm. family, with career, and it's all economic. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people choose to escape because sometimes escaping reality Mm. hurts less than living in reality. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's not as painful, right? No. It's warm. It's Mm. a cushion. It feels nice. Yeah. 2 a.m. coming home from the bar, (laughs) kind of drunk. There you go. That's a good tie-in right there. You know, want to play an adrenaline rush film. Damn, that's fucking dope. Mm. Now I can go to bed happy. Mm. That's my fucking dream. Mm. Boom. Yeah, that's... That's a good example, though. It's like you're that's the fantasy, right? It's a it's a world that you've constructed almost. But it seems like the big part of this that you're you're mentioning is that there's not really any effort or work involved in it in a way. Right. It's uh, it's easy. It just kind of like comes to you. It's just like saying, yeah, that's speedboats fast. Do you Mm. like to drink? Yeah. Mm. Miami, Cuba. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. There's no effort involved. No, you just have a few words here and there. Strong, silent type. Gets yeah. the girl. I, I went to a screening for when when uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was coming out, mm-hmm. which is the last movie that we did podcasts on, and they were showing all of Quentin Tarantino's films. They oh. were doing like a marathon like, no they were just screening them at different times at the arc light when the arc light was still open and i went to see death proof have you seen death proof i think once. that's one i like that movie a lot but i went to see that and guess who's in the theater watching it 
Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino's there. Uh-oh. He's in the back. He's like one row behind me and like 10 seats down. And the strangest thing is the guy was laughing hysterically all throughout the movie. He was probably laughing louder than anybody else in the movie theater watching that movie, watching his own movie, yeah. watching a movie that's had been out for, I don't know, at least 10 years. And like, who knows how many times he's seen this. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's enjoying it. Like he's watching it for the first time and it's not his movie. And I'm like wondering based off this conversation now, how much of that is his fantasy that he's just, he's just indulging in his own fantasies every time he's watching his movies and every time he's making these movies. And that's what it's about is creating some fantasy world. I had a, some sick fantasy world. I had a professor, you know? I, I don't remember that way, but I had a professor who said he's worked with prominent directors, written like directors in Hollywood. This guy's legit psychotherapist, legit. Yeah. And he's like, you know what the worst part is about that guy? Not, not the one we're talking about, but the yeah. director he worked with. He's okay. like, he never paid for his therapy. Mm. He, like he left without paying. Mm. Sometimes some people can't handle looking at themselves in the mirror. Mm. They would rather live in a fantasy, a false reality that they create. Sure. Because no matter how sick it is, and maybe some parts of it are not funny. Yeah. And should it be laughed at because it would be inappropriate to laugh at if you're logical. Yeah. You know, it is difficult to look at yourself and say, maybe you're fucking disgusting. Well, you know, I don't know. This is this conversation is going in interesting ways, but we're we're talking about we're talking about the directors now, right? Because we're talking about this movie and the fantasy that this guy Michael Mann created here, and it's like, well, aren't directors these guys who like has, are having everybody tell them that they're right and that mm-hmm. they're amazing and that you're a genius and you're doing all the right things? Isn't that kind of a fantasy? Isn't that somewhat of a fantasy that they might have well, constructed or created in a way? Once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, it would be that like you're told how great you are, you're yeah. told how amazing you are. You mean the Leonardo DiCaprio's character, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean just the film, the theme of the film in general. It's yeah. just like it does hit these points where he is speaking about a reality, yeah, which is a theme in Hollywood. You're told how great you are until you're not. Mm. We love you until mm. we find out that you beat your wife, yeah, and that you're a part of the Me Too movement now. And yeah. Now your career's over. Yeah. You've lost your 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 deal with the studio. Yeah, now everything is done for you, and then you have to like try to rebuild your career. And the only way you could do that is by taking her to court. Mm. You know, we're talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, mm. right? You're only loved until you're not. Mm. And as soon as something happens that doesn't agree with what we believe, mm. you're done. Yeah. You know, so that's the whole fantasy of all of this. And for an actor, like with our character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's addicting. To yeah. be told, you're amazing. You're yeah. great. But don't you think that's what's you, happening with directors all the you're time? The shit. The directors, these actors, types of doctor, the, these producers. types of directors we're talking about, like these auteur directors. Yeah, well, yeah, you're told, then you're given the funding for it uh-huh. by the studio because we believe that which is more validation. We believe that your work, yeah, you know, has worth this much money, millions of dollars. Yeah. So the next one that you're creating is going to be just as good. That's how not important. Great. You, that's how important you so are. We trust you yeah. with our investment in your yeah. film. So and they're like. Oh well, yeah, yeah. This guy created that movie. I'm gonna go watch it. Yeah, you make a name for yourself, and you have these big Hollywood actors. Yeah, let's do it. It's bullshit now. But I'm I'm wondering how much of uh, the director's career and their their creation of their career as a director is due to that need to create that fantasy world in a way so not only are they creating a fantasy world in terms of where like within the movie set 
and with working with all the actors and working with the crew and, and the producers and stuff, that's a fantasy itself. Mm-hmm. But then they're creating another fantasy that they're putting on the screen. And so they're living in multiple different fantasies mm-hmm. at the same time. And how much of their career is, that's the reason that they're doing it. They're, that's what they're, that's why they're doing what they're doing. For the external validation? But, and the creation of these fantasies to live in to live in a fantasy well i think part of it has to be like you've mentioned before it's art for them can be yeah for them it's a creation of what they have in their mind yeah there's nothing wrong with that i'm not saying there is they're sort of wanting to create what they see what they feel and they put it on film yeah how much of that is true Mm. you know i think a lot of that is true I think a lot of it is motivated by their own desire maybe to get it out, right? Maybe. And for some people, getting it out means working through your own shit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people work through their own shit. There's this guy on iCarly. He was like a producer. Okay. Um, he was working with the cast. And it's well documented. This guy wanted his cast members and the different Nickelodeon shows to portray themselves in provocative manners Mm. different way of clothing different way of posing and stuff a lot of it was him working through his own shit Mm -hmm. his own psychological sexual dysfunctions Mm. so you see him asking these actresses or sometimes even actors for these favors they're sometimes upon condition okay right and these things that they're doing is sort of what he's asking for it's based on his own desires to get mm. that out there, mm. right? Yeah. So this sort of thing does exist. Yeah. And when you're in a position of power, when you're not questioned, you can act these things out and portray these things out. The directors in some of these sets, they're not allowed to be questioned. Yeah. They have ultimate authority a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Unchecked authority, right? Because there's there's trust placed upon them by yeah. the studio. Yeah. And there are people in positions who are in need. Yeah. They, the actors want to work. Yeah, not just on one film. They want to work on multiple films, mm-hmm. hopefully for the same people. Mm-hmm. That's why oftentimes you see a Martin Scorsese choose a Robert De Niro, yeah. an Al Pacino, so on and so forth. Yeah. The guys from Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon yeah. and yeah. Ben Affleck, yeah. Adam Sandler and his crew, mm-hmm. right? You see a lot of the people who know each other yep. work with each other. Yeah. I'm not saying that they have any involvement with what we're talking about, but there is sort of a, a desire for a person who's a young actor to want to work with a certain studio and a certain director and make connections with them and continue to work for them because, yeah, mm. that's great exposure it's great networking great connections yeah but it does open up the door for you know power and control definitely and that could exist right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, this conversation is reminding me of the conversation we had about the barbie movie and that we're not talking about the characters in the movie as much as we were talking about the people that made it and kind of like what's going on behind the scenes a little bit more in terms of the psychology of it. I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. You, you watch a film, but you don't know what you're really entertaining and watching Mm. until you actually break it down Mm. And with, with deconstruction and Derrida, you read a text, you reread the text, you read it to the smallest, you know, sentence, the smallest word, and you finally find that it contradicts itself. Mm. You find what the author is really saying in the text. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Mm. This person is talking about this instead of that. Mm. Now, no wonder I feel a certain way when I read this text. Mm. No wonder I interpret it like this. Okay. It's because the overall message is what's behind the scenes. Okay. It's the unconscious that's happening when we're reading the text. Yeah. So it's the unconscious that we're watching when we're watching this film. Yeah. And that's the overall meaning behind it, just like in our film, The Shining. Mm. You know. What do you mean by that? When we had the scene when there was a bear and then oh yeah, and the bellhop, right? I don't think you ever. I don't think we. Well, well, for we us, we didn't talk about that, but we also didn't talk about the what your interpretation of the room two thirty seven 
scene was. For me, right, and then you correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. for me it was really 237 was a place when molestation was taking place between the father and the son. Okay. And the scene where the bear was with the bellhop and the bear was giving fellatio to the bellhop mm. was really the child being forced to give fellatio to the father. Mm. Right, a bear representing a younger okay, <laughs> yeah, creature, a teddy bear could be, and the bellhopper representing a person of authority, yeah, right, but also a person who's submissive, mm. could be. So for but me, but that could be like an unconscious fantasy. You're saying that uh, maybe Kubrick was projecting into his film. For me, it does represent fellatio because mm. that's what it was in yeah. the film yeah but we gotta understand that the bear represents childhood childhood yeah and the bellhop represents probably mm. getting fucked maybe by <laughs> capitalism no but it sort of represents yeah leaving behind childhood mm. right so okay. it, it could be that but room 237 for me when the child comes out and he's harmed by something in this unknown force and the only real thing that was actually there yeah. was a father for me yeah. it was a father harming the child it seemed like he did something maybe yeah and it's hard to live with that guilt it would make anyone go mad yeah right and if you do it once you're more likely to do it again yeah it's sort of like especially an alcoholic father <clears throat> who's saying I'll stop mm. I'll get help but the mother's mm. like He's fine. I forgive him. Yeah. I forgive him, and he did it again. Why else would she come out of the room and say, I hate you. I'm mm. fucking angry with you. Why'd mm. you do it? Mm. She literally blamed him, and he denied it. Yeah. But how could he know what he did? Right? Because he was drunk. Yeah. Because he wasn't in the right state of mind. So was it really ghost, or was it really him putting his child in harm's way? Which I think, likely, if we were clinicians for this family... We would ask that child, mm. did your father have any sort of, were you molested by your father? Mm. We would actually ask the child, yeah. and we would ask the mother, yeah. right? And if we did see those bruises, we wouldn't believe they were ghosts. Yeah. We would actually remove the child from the home or call DCFS yeah. to, and call the police. For sure. To get the child away from the father. Well, we weren't there, so we can't do that, right? But I think that's a me making a good point, though, that there is there could have been something else going on, and I don't know. Maybe this is getting back to what we were talking about with the directors and what are they actually? What's the what's really being put in these films? You know, what are the yeah. beliefs that are getting put in these films? And maybe those are unconscious beliefs about things or unconscious fantasies, like we're talking about. Yeah. Do we got a little bit more time here? I wanted to. I mean, sure. I was. I was wondering what you would, what you think about this idea. But like, I definitely think that Miami Vice is a example of toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. I know that we've you've brought up that phrase a couple times, and mm. you're not really like a big proponent of it. But such a fucked up word. I know it is, but I think if it's gonna apply to anything, it apply to something like this movie. So I mean, I was. Have you looked up like what, how that's defined? Yeah. What is it? Because like I I looked up a couple of the like something online and it says like, what. Uh, one of the definitions of it is, rigid gender norms. Acting like a bully to maintain a constant competitive advantage. So. <laughs> Yeah, and avoiding losing at all costs. That definitely is coming into play in this movie. Like, they cannot... Both sides cannot lose. There is no option of losing. And that they all, they have to use aggression and force with each other all the time to maintain advantages. Restraining one's emotions except for pride and anger. That's exactly what I was talking about with Jamie Foxx's character. Like, when his wife gets injured... It's only anger or pride. Like they're never emotional in any other way. They're not even happy in this movie. <laughs> they can't. They don't even. I don't think anybody smiles really in this movie. Showing strength and aggression in moments of conflict. I mean, it's all conflict. It's all strength. It's all aggression. And being dominant over women and other men, which is another thing. Like they're all having to dominate each other and gain advantages over each other 
and be dominant over women. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I, I mean, based off that definition, it seems like this movie perfectly fits with the idea of toxic masculinity. But mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> it's a good way to define the behavior. Yeah. But I think the behavior... I don't like the word toxic masculinity because it seems like don't. a blanket term. It can be. To yeah. describe. It's like saying that everything is trauma. I yeah. could just easily say these men are traumatized. I, I think what you've... Your your issue has been how people throw it around like it's nothing almost, right? Like it's just toxic... It's the same thing you were saying. Trauma this, trauma that. Toxic masculinity this, toxic masculinity that. I'm not trying to do that here. I don't even think this is toxic masculinity. And I'm trying to like use these definitions that they have to for it to like apply it to this movie. I don't even think this is toxic really? masculinity. But what about all those definitions that I just gave you about what it means? That I, doesn't it doesn't seem like it fits all those those identifiers. Like if we were doing a DSM five diagnosis right now and you're like, oh it must meet these criteria, it met all those criteria that are on that list yeah. that I just read. But I'm going to be literal, and toxic masculinity is not a DSM classified I diagnosis. I understand. I'm saying, like, if it was. Yeah, if it was. It uh, would meet the diagnose, diagnostic criteria for it. <laughs> That's if, what I'm saying. But you can also say that this meets the criteria for an undercover police officer infiltrating a drug ring. You know, yeah. you have to portray, depending on, depending on the... <laughs> the culture you're gaining within yeah. you have to portray yourself to be this if not it's sink or swim mm. for them sadly it's sink if you don't portray yourself as being the biggest guy with the biggest balls you're going to get murdered especially if you want to have that kind of a contract with that kind of a drug that's kingdom. the world that they're living in, in right? The film. But, but they're choosing to live in that world too no they're not they're, you don't think people are they're choosing to be in that world do you think people are like that's that they have no choice that it's against mm-hmm. their will i think they're both driven by the same things that we're talking about what which is driven by the adrenaline power control control aggression but that's not toxic it can if that's like the predominant factor what if does toxic mean I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to define toxic, but I think toxic means that it's um, it's something that is it's a pollutant in a way. It's a it's something that destroys, and it's something that mm-hmm. uh, causes harm. When and I think it is like you can look at it like that. It's a type of masculinity that causes harm. That's how I would say. I, I think these guys are not in, I wouldn't say it's toxic but I do okay. think in the spectrum of masculinity if we're talking about that mm. they are displaying aggression they have to be aggressive yeah. especially if you're engaging in this kind of a world and behavior just yeah. like any CEO who's trying to buy a company yeah. you have to display a certain kind of aggression and lack of emotion to Perhaps. get to that level because if you know like to, if you have emotions in this kind of a world, you won't survive. You will get destroyed. Your anger gets out of the way, you're done. Yeah. Your, your love gets out of the way, you lose your fucking business. That's the that's what it says in Heat. You know what was the thing in Heat? You can't never be. Uh, you always have to be ready to leave something within like sixty seconds or something like that. Well, yeah. Which is uh, mainly referring to relationships with women. Yeah, you can't you can't have close bonds if you're living that lifestyle. But that's that I th- I think that's a a sort of a construct in a way. No, it's a reality. It's a reality that's been constructed. Like it's a type of reality that we have like people have bought into that reality. Well, I think for those kinds of characters to survive in that kind of a world, yeah. You have to accept that your life is the life that comes with having to clo- lo- to cut ties with people quickly and this is not something that's unheard of we have people who are undercover officers you have people who work probably for 
intelligence agencies who make connections to have to cut it off quickly. Yeah. Because if not, they become compromised. They put themselves in danger and others. That's not toxic. That's their job. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree that it's their job and that maybe there are certain aspects of it that they have to if you need, abide by because it's going to be a problem if they don't. If you need to use the word toxic to pacify and explain no. the, 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 the loss of that person, then yeah, by all means. I'm not saying word. that. But that's, that's really why the word is. This person who invented the word toxic masculinity brought it about because his father was in the military and his father displays the characteristics that you named before. And he needed a way to describe what his father was. Mm. And his father was contradictory to he wa- who he mm. was. He was a feeling type, mm. very emotional type. Mm. He, his dad wasn't that, but he needed a way to describe his dad. He described his behavior, his personality characteristics as toxic masculine. When possibly it was his PTSD. Maybe. How could you get close to somebody if you know you're going to lose them? Right. But if that's the case, then... You'd rather have control over the situation rather than not knowing what's going to happen because in any moment, someone can get shot, something can explode, and I'd rather know where everything is, all my doors are locked, that everything's airtight, and then my kid is right there where he's supposed to be. I think that's fine what you're saying, but if if you... If you're going into that mind state of like, I'm going to have to leave you at any point and you're just going to be like put in that position, then why have family at all? I, from the characters that we watched, they don't have families at all. I know, but I'm saying in terms, not, not in terms of this movie, because we're well, just talking about the term toxic masculinity, but like for anybody. You're saying if you go into that mind state, yeah. why have a family at all? Yeah. But you said going into that mind state is saying you leave be willing to leave your family within 60 seconds right but that is for the bad guys right you have to be willing to cut ties and we're talking about the guy whose father invent, who invented it based on his father which is yeah. different his dad had an actual family you're asking then why if you actually have these characteristics why have a family at all right no i'm saying if that's your mind state if you have ptsd no, if your mindset is, I'm going to leave you if if something goes down and I have to leave something at any time, like my family. So why do you have a family then? If Which, that's it. Who, who's had a family? I'm just saying, hypothetically. I don't think they do because if that's, the bad guys typically don't. The ones who say, I'll leave you in 60 seconds are the bad guys. That's what we said about it within okay. here. I thought you were talking about that as a aspect of what toxic masculinity was no okay i disagree with the term for toxic masculinity and i think for that sort of thing that's you take on the role if you take on the role as being the criminal then you have to be willing to cut ties quickly because if not you become compromised okay also if you're like in an intelligence agency and that's the role you have to take on then you have to be willing to cut ties in that way despite how much you love that person, how you feel, because your feelings are take a back seat to the greater good. Mm. And the greater good could be the mission. It could be your goals. Yeah. Because if you're a part of that kind of an agency, you're serving the organization. You're not serving, you know, your own needs. Yeah. A part of toxic masculinity is saying, no, you... The person who is toxic is not serving the needs of others or even themselves, right? They don't care. They don't have the emotions that maybe a normal person would have. They're only going based on maybe one desire, one need, sex, drugs, power. Yeah. Is really what they want, power. But the other things take a back seat, love and intimacy, which... A normal person would say, you need love, you need intimacy. Mm. Without those things, how could you be alive? Mm -hmm. How could you be human? Mm. Right? That's toxic. (laughs) I guess you could say that, yeah. You think that's what people are saying? Hmm. That's what you're... Is that... 
if you don't have those things that you're toxic yeah okay. if you don't display those things mm-hmm. if you don't make these connections you know if you listen to Joe Rogan yeah if you like fucking Bud Light I don't know he doesn't seem like somebody like that though he seems like somebody who shows he, emotion and that he cares about his family and he has yeah. close relationships he is and he is he believes in cooperation and all that kind of stuff he does yeah but before when this word came out it was easy to point the finger yeah. at him and say but that's what I'm saying like I'm not using it that way <laughs> you know I think most people do or they just like throw it around and well, that's why they're not like thinking about it you know that's why I don't think the term works it can it can but, not work but it is a good term to describe yeah. the characters in our film it's not like it's not maybe because it, if you want to diagnose it in the pretend DSM, it falls within the criteria of toxic masculinity. Now we have to see if it causes a daily life impairment. Does it cause you not to have relationships with others? Yes. Does it prevent you from like forming bonds? Yes. Does it cause death? Yes. Does it, does it come with excessive substances? Possibly. How about alcoholism? Yes. All right, I you think know, that's, so that's enough now. It is a psychological impairment. And how long has it persisted for? For over three months? No, All right. two so next, years. So next episode, Eamon will do a, uh, a synopsis of the DSM for everybody. Oh, God. Wait for that one. Don't get me started. I've been studying. Uh, so. But I think this one was, uh, I think we're good on time. I think it's been an hour so far, so maybe we'll end there. I'm not sure what we're going to do next. Um, thought we were going to do Wayne's World. We'll try. Wayne's World. We'll see if we can watch it. Watch it next time. Alright. <laughs> we'll let you guys know what the next one looks like. Or Clerks. Yeah, we'll think about it. Alright. Alright, man. This is good. Appreciate your time as always. This is Michael. It's Eamon. This is Deconstructing the Psyche. And we'll catch you next time. Take care. Bye.